Welcome to the Words of Belonging podcast series produced by Belong. In this series, we speak with authors and writers and explore their writings in depth, covering themes of diversity and inclusion. Listen into conversations that focus on how gender, sexuality, caste, ability, ethnicity, religion, and other kinds of identity-based bias show up in our myths in Indian language literature, even discussions around modern internet. Understand the role of translations and the importance of debates about contemporary feminist and LGBTQ+ movements and many more such topics. Hope these conversations help you see the world in a new light. Welcome today we are talking to Nandana Devsin about Acrobat a collection of Navanita Devsin's poetry translated from Bengali by Nandana. Nandana is a writer, actor and child rights activist. She is the author of 6 children's books translated into more than 50 languages globally. An award-winning international actor, Nandana has starred in 20 feature films from four continents and in multiple languages. Acrobat is a radiant collection of poetry about womanhood, intimacy and the body politic that together evokes the arc of an ordinary life. A polyglot, Nabanita was a noted scholar of Indian literature, translator, editor, and a champion of works written in Indian languages. Thank you, Nandana, for joining us today. It was a great honor to go through the poetry, and I'm very thankful to you, especially because I'm not a Bangla native speaker. So the just the opportunity to read that poetry was because of your translation. So thank you so much. Oh you're so welcome I'm really delighted to hear you say that because that was the whole inspiration behind the this work was being able to make my mother's poetry which spanned her entire time really available to not bengali speakers so I'm very glad that it reached you absolutely and I think I would like to start this conversation by a quote that really stood out to me in your introduction which is mm-hmm. i think navnita ji's quote which is poetry is a means of our survival it is a window through which we can breathe and i wanted to know more from you about what poetry meant to navnita ji and what do you think poetry signifies as a symbol of freedom you know we grew up in a house that was filled with poetry my mother was born to two beloved poets narendra deb and radharani debi and i think poetry in our family has always been very central to the way we express ourselves and also interpret the world around us for her i think she also was very inspired by how life changing she saw poetry was for women in particular and she drew inspiration from the way my grandmother who was child widow she was married at 12 widowed at 13 and she taught herself she educated herself became a best selling poet and remarried which was quite a scandal at the time although it was legal it had just become legal and she made a place for herself through her poetry she was poetry was a way for her to 
not only create a public identity, but also to assure her own agency. And so I think when my mother says that poetry is central to a woman's freedom, she's also not only talking about women in the cities, educated women, academic women, women who are privileged to have an education from a young age. I mean, my grandmother came from a an aristocratic family, but the tradition in the family was not for the women to be educated. So it's something that she yeah. had to really fight fight for. But my mother also, in this case, is talking about women in the villages, the songs, the work songs of women working in the fields and the way women across generations in India have adopted the stories and songs of our archetypal heroines like Sita and Draupadi and made those songs their own, their own stories. Sort of, I think there's this term that my mother uses, which is very beautiful, called singing their sorrows. So for my mother, poetry had clearly established itself as a vital necessity for women. There's an essay actually by a poet and writer that we both love called Audre Lorde and the title of the essay is Poetry is Not a Luxury. And Mm. my mother really believed in that for herself. I mean, this is so the question that you ask can be interpreted, can be answered rather in a larger sense, which is what I just tried to do, but also as it relates to my mother, I think in her own life, she, and she wrote about this extensively, she felt that poetry was critical coping mechanism for her that if she didn't have poetry in her life, then she would have emotionally fallen apart at a number of times throughout her life. And that during various upheavals, it was poetry that, as she writes quite beautifully, helped her stay afloat and kept her from drowning. I think she felt that poetry was a critical part of her, the way in which she kept her balance. Yeah. So I think before we go to the next question, I would request you to read a poem from the collection, Broken Home, because my next question is about the personal in one's writing. And I think Broken Home really spoke to me about that, about the line, especially about how the relationship between poetry and pain and the line in it, in which I think she says, do you break your home just for poetry? So if you could read the whole poem, it'd be great. Yeah, I'll let me read it to you in Bangla first, because I Absolutely. think it's important to hear the music in her original yes. poem. Yes. Ghar. <laughs> কবিতার জন্যে বুঝি তুমি বারবার দুঃখ খুঁজে নাও কবিতার জন্যে ভাঙো ঘর ব্রোকেন হোম ওয়ান্স এগেন ইউ গ্লো অন দ্য ব্রিঙ্ক অফ লাভ ওয়ান্স এগেন ইউর ড্যাজলিং ইন হার্ট ব্রেক ইজ ইট ফর দ্য সেক অফ পোয়েট্রি দেন দ্যাট ওয়ান্স এগেন ইউর হান্টিং ফর পেইন Do you break your home just for poetry, time and again? Thank you. Thank you so much for reading in both languages. 
I couldn't what understand the Bangla, but it was very musical, <laughs> beautiful to hear. Thank you for choosing this poem. I think you're absolutely right that it illustrates an aspect of a poetry that was quite central, which was mm. the, you know, she often said that it illustrates the fraught relationship she had with language. Yeah. And she often wrote about the fact that she felt both cursed and blessed by poetry, that she couldn't imagine a life without poetry. Mm. But she was also very aware, as aware as she was of the freeing potential of poetry, the question that you asked earlier, mm. the connection between poetry and a woman's freedom. Yeah. She was also very aware of the destructive potential of language. And so she, throughout her poetry, you see this deep understanding of both the power of language and the danger of language, the unreliability of language. So, and the connection between poetry and pain, again, going back to the question you asked earlier, the fact that for her, it truly was a coping mechanism. And at some point, the question became, was she seeking poetry to cope with her pain or was she seeking pain to be able to create poetry? And this is a rare poem that actually articulates that. So you were talking about the, like the, double potential of poetry about it being a part of freedom as well as the dangerous aspects of it. And I was thinking about what you also wrote about in the introduction about the fact that women writers are more heavily scrutinized. And that's why like that kind of creates an imprisonment of women writers autonomy. So I wanted to know, especially because you're also an artist and writer. So how do you subvert this case and, and why? Is this case there in the first place? I think it's not. This case is, you're absolutely right. This case is particular not only to, to women writers, but women artists and yeah. uh, indeed women in the public eye, whether you're a, an actor or a poet or a politician. Mm. It is assumed that because you have entered you have chosen to express yourself in a public arena that your whole life is up for grabs. Everything that you say, everything that you wear, who you're spending time with, all of it can be scrutinized. And my mother felt the attack of that kind of constant judging very strongly. Yeah. And I think for her, she, in fact, stopped publishing poetry for a while. She always wrote poetry because she needed to write poetry to, to keep her balance. And she did, but she felt that there was a lot of, there was a certain kind of voyeurism that she mm. was uncomfortable with, that she couldn't really, the only way to not have that in her life was not to publish her poetry. Because what she could not do was hold herself back in her poetry. She was very emotionally naked in her poetry. And she felt her poetry was giving her away and leading to a kind of unhealthy curiosity and this uncomfortable degree of voyeuristic interest in her life that 
she felt she had to distance herself from. I think it's, uh, and she also wrote about the fact that this is a kind of scrutiny that male writers and male artists don't have to go through. And I think that's really true. And I think it has something to do with public spaces and private spaces and what happens when a woman enters a public space, what it is that this is a dramatic analogy, but the whole idea that if you are, if you're a woman and you're out late, then you should be okay with men coming after you or Eve teasing you, or if you're wearing a short skirt, then right. It's just how you choose. It's a way of, and that's what she meant when she spoke about the imprisoning of a woman artist's identity, the ways in which you get hemmed in because of the way you are interpreted and the, and your art, your work, the way your work is interpreted by the world hems you in. The other thing that she meant also, which is, again, much more true for women writers than for men, is that the assumption is made that you're writing about your life. So even if you're writing a novel that's not autobiographical, the world assumes that it is. My mother wrote a very powerful novel set during the movement in Calcutta. And it was very frustrating for her that, and the protagonist was a male academic professor who was politically involved, but as it turns out, lets his students down and realizes himself that he is a coward. But much to my mother's frustration, every male friend of hers thought that it was somehow about him. (laughs) So, and that doesn't happen when men write novels. So I don't know, again, I'm not a sociologist, so I'm not sure, except for a broader kind of interpretation, like the one that I gave you, that it is something to do with the way the world associates a woman's identity to with a public versus a private space. So I think she felt that she needed to also find a way of breaking this assumption that the reader was making that everything she was writing about was about herself. And you know how she did that? Because you asked the question, how do you subvert that? Her way of subverting that was actually embracing it. So she started writing narrative nonfiction which was based on her life, that was autobiographical, and that was openly talking about what was happening in her life day to day. And she opens the doors to this very fun-loving and absolutely functional broken home, in quotes, which the assumption at that time where when divorce was very rare in our society in Calcutta, the assumption was that this would be a somehow dysfunctional family with no men in the family, but it was mm. not a family that worked perfectly well. And we had a lot of fun together. And she wrote about what was happening in this really eccentric little family with great honesty and humor and a kind of self-deprecation that people loved and appreciated as so much empathy and dignity in being able to look at yourself like that. 
And she did that because she would rather do that than write novels where people assumed that she was writing about her life and she wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great takeaway to just own it then. <laughs> what yeah. Rather than being forced yeah. into a role, she stepped into it hmm. and did it her way, did it her own way. Yeah, that's also pretty a brave choice. Yeah, and I think when you were talking about public and private speakers, I was also thinking about a poem that really, really stood out to me, which was Take Back the Night and the imagery of the difference between what like night as a metaphor means to a man or woman and a woman was really relatable <laughs> to a great extent. And yes, and I think, I think that's a great choice because it kind of resonates with some of the other issues we've touched upon, such as the unreliability of language as well. So let me read, let me find that. Urush, Uidin Shondharate Kokiler Shor Nari, Uidin Chandrohin Ratri Diprohor, Urush, Shalpialer Bone Puri Nemechilo, Nari, Shunduri Kater Bone Bagro Eshechilo, Urush, Josnamaka Oshunto Batashe, Nari, Roktakto. Take back the night. Man, in the twilight, I could still hear the lark. Woman, the night was moonless, oppressively dark. Man, in the flowering woods, a night fairy walked. Woman, in the sundarbans, the man-eater stopped. Man, in that fragrant springtime air. Woman. Blood drenched remains lay there. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, as well as jarring, disturbing, but really, really beautifully written, I think, yes. wonderfully described. Thank you. It's also representative of her poetry in a number of different ways. One is that you can see the love that she had for rhymes, and that not all of her poetry was written in rhyme, but a great deal of it was, which added to both the fun and the challenge of translating her. But it also is thematically connected to abiding refrains in her poetry, such as the multiplicity of perspectives and the ways in which language can misrepresent, Hmm. the misrepresentation of language, also the violence that's inherent in language. It also talks about what you asked earlier, the idea that poetry is connected to a woman's freedom and identity. She, one way, she had a very strong sense of social justice that came through in all of her writing, whether it was her journalism or her narrative nonfiction or her, mm-hmm. even her children's fiction or her travelogues and her poetry. And one way of resisting violence, as she saw it, was also through poetry. And this is a great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. My next question is also about, I think you touched upon it a little, about your experience translating this collection, especially like this must be a very different kind of challenge. And your introduction in itself is such an emotional tribute as well. So what was the experience like translating the poetry? And yeah, that's the 
question. You know, we signed the book together two weeks before my mother passed away. She was very excited about Acrobat. It was going to be published in New York. This was unbelievably her first book ever to be published for an international audience, even though she had over 100 books to her credit. So she wrote about this book with great rejoicing in her last column, which she dictated from bed. This was a hugely popular column that came out every Sunday and people would wait for it avidly. So it was very painful, truthfully, to work on this project without her. I, we knew that she was extremely unwell and, you know, she passed away exactly a year from the day she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. But it had been my fervent hope that I would do this project with her. That said, I couldn't really focus on anything else because it was a promise I had made to her. And shortly after she died, the pandemic hit the world. So it was a strange time in the universe for everybody. But it was was the most complicated project that I've ever had. And because it was not only challenging at a technical, linguistic, literary level. It was very challenging emotionally because with every poem, I could hear her voice and not just metaphorically. I I could actually hear her booming voice. Felt like she was just next to me, but she was gone. So it felt, it was quite heartbreaking to work on this book, to tell you the truth. Mm. at time when I was grieving for her because I missed her constantly. But at the same time, engaging with her words, her voice, her rhymes, her choices as a poet, her metaphors, the cadence of her poetry, it allowed me to continue my conversation with her. It made it feel like Almost like each poem was a, was a message from her to me. So while it was, it was heart-wrenching, it was also in some ways, when I look back, I see that it was a way for me to cope with my grief. And with it was a way of, I think it helped working on the project, really helped me get used to a world without my mother. Yeah. And of course, like, I'm pretty, I'm very sorry for your loss. Grief is very painful. And like it's a, it is totally, I think, in your credit that you went through the project in such a painful period of time. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, thank you so much for that because it is, it has opened your mom's writing to like a lot of us who didn't have the access to the language. So thank you for sharing that part, the well. entire world. Thank you for saying that. But, you know, at a technical level, of course, it was really, it was interesting and fun. I had started translating my mother's poetry many years ago when I was still in college. But at that time, I didn't see myself as a her primary translator. I was translating her poetry so she could have a body of work available to her in the English language. 
she could share when she was asked to give readings and because she didn't have it otherwise. So it was out of necessity that I started the work of translating her poetry. And then when I translated a book of her poems as a surprise birthday present when she turned 75, okay. this is a book that she'd written called Tumi Monosikoro, and I translated it into a bilingual book of poems called Make Up yeah. Your Mind. And she was so delighted by the translations that mm. it inspired me to do more. And mm. with Acrobat, what happened was that copy of Make Up Your Mind very fortuitously fell into the hands of the wonderful publisher and founder of Archipelago Books, which is one of the leading publishing houses in the world that focuses on translation. It also publishes literary translations from around the world. And Jill suggested that we do a book together, my translations of my poetry and my mother was absolutely thrilled. So that's how, that's the history of the book and of how it came into being. And just the challenges of translation were also really fun because I love language. From my mother, I inherited a love of rhymes and I wanted to be as faithful to each poem in as many ways as I could, which meant I was, and this is something that my mother very generously wrote about, the fact that even though she had been translated a few times before, not by many, but by a few translators, she was very glad that in my translations, I tried to stay true not only to her metaphors and the words and the images mm. and the emotions, but also the rhymes and the metrical patterns and the structure of the poem on each page, the way it looked on the page. So the kind of combining, or I should say, prioritizing the form along with the content was mm. something that was very important to me, precisely because I knew how much my mother loved rhymes and how important, how she used rhymes brilliantly to underscore emotions and to spring surprises on the audience. So I want, I kind of promised myself that each poem that she had written in rhyme would be rendered in rhyme in English. So that was a big part of the translation process. And there were certain poems that I worked on for months before mm. I, was, I was convinced that they were ready and did justice to the originals. Mm. Yeah. And I think the rhythmic part of the poetry does for sure get through to, as a reader, I can do at least me, it it did come through very well. And the playful, I think, part of language as well, that you were talking about, like the sudden surprises in the poetry, it was a delight to find them. And I'm also like very interested to know about the title of the collection from like the imagery of the acrobat because as I said like for me it really was also kind of a symbol of the kind of playfulness in the poetry and the flexibility or the surprises of the poems but I would love to know why you chose the specific title and I also know that acrobat is a repeated imagery I think in several poems. That's true it's great that you noticed that that it kind of comes back in her poetry time and again. Mm. So we actually chose the title together and it's borrowed from the title poem, which is Acrobat. 
And that is an interesting story actually behind that, because when I translate, Acrobat was one of the poems I translated in Make Up Your Mind, the book I gave her as a 75th birthday present. And because it was a surprise, I couldn't discuss the choices I was making as a translator with her. So I, and in Bengali, the third person pronoun is not gendered. So there is not a he or a she, it's a she, and the she could be a he and the she could be a she. So I couldn't ask her what her choice would have been. I made the decision to go with the she because this poem to me had always invoked the precarious multitasking that every woman has to perfect to survive. So that's what I chose. But when the book came out and my mother had it in her hands, I asked her about this poem, if I had made the right choice. And much to my surprise, she said, actually, I wasn't thinking about he or a she. The gender was not important to me in this poem because I wrote this about the delicate balancing act that every poet has to go through. Because a sentence too long or a word too heavy can throw you off the tightrope. And that was so fascinating. It made absolute sense, but that's not the way I had interpreted the poem. So I said, okay, Ma, so shall I why don't I rework the poem? And she said, no, absolutely not, because it works wonderfully well as a feminist poem. So it's a great translation and I don't want you to change your word. But we chose this title for the book because we felt that the book represented both meanings of that word, that it was both about the multiplicity of identities that every woman has to own, but also about the balancing act that poetry entails. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a great answer. And the point as well about how acrobat, the relationship between acrobat and poetry, I had never thought about it, but that makes complete sense. Yes, like a great choice for the title. Thank Um, you. I think the concluding question, I think I'll just club it with my recommendations section. But I wanted to know from you about your, I think, thoughts about the recent popularity of Indian language translations in English. And do you have any like recommendations for our listeners, especially of English translations of Bangla works that you hold like pretty dear to you? Well, there aren't enough translations of Bangla poetry, actually. Unfortunately, I hope that there will be more, but it's a wonderful thing that there is certainly, my mother really agitated for this. She was quite a language activist. She made a choice to write only in Bangla. I mean, her academic work, of course, she wrote in English, but her all her creative work once she moved to move back to India with us was in Bengali. And that's because she felt very strongly that Indian writers writing in their mother tongues had a had a responsibility to preserve the regional literatures and languages. So I'm, and at the same time, she also believed she wrote a lot about how we need to 
recognize translation as a literary form and encourage mm. encourage it, not see it as a kind of technical job because it really isn't. It's a creative job. Mm. And she wrote about the fact that there were not enough translations of Indian literatures. When there were translations, they were mostly not of high quality. And when they were of high quality, they were not available. They were very poorly distributed. So she wrote extensively about the discontents of translation in the context of Indian literatures. So I'm delighted that we've actually come a long way in the last few years, but we still have a long way to go. I mean, this question that you asked is a great one, but I don't, there isn't, Bengali poetry hasn't been translated enough, even mm. though poetry is such an integral part of Bengali literature. Yeah. I hope that there are many in the coming years. And it does feel hopeful at the moment, especially with the booker and everything, having a translated yeah. work. Thank you. Time. But, you know, a lot of fiction is being translated wonderfully well now. I mean, yeah. there, and that's a fabulous development. I think what has happened because translation is getting more attention, translators are being recognized and rewarded. I think translators who are writers, essentially, you can't really be a translator unless you're a writer, are more incentivized to translate Indian regional literatures. And the reason why I say it's a, we have a long way to go is that it's still really for the most part, Indian literature is represented to the world still through Indian writing in English, which is something my mother wrote about in the 70s. She kind of anticipated that this would happen. And Mm -hmm. she loved Indian writing in English. She was a huge admirer and keen follower of writers who were writing in English, Mm -hmm. who were of Indian origin and who were representing the reality of India in through English, and she loved it, but she felt that along with that, we needed to represent Indian writing that was happening in Indian languages, and that was not happening. That balance was not being reached. And I think now we have not reached that balance yet, but we are on our way, which is great. I mean, you know, recently, for instance, those work was translated and published by Archipelago Books as well, and that was Mm. fabulous because he is such an important writer and we adore him in India and he Mm. is known across India as opposed to my mother whose name was known but her work was not read by read across country because it wasn't available in other languages right is a great example of someone whose work is known within India but not really outside of India right so I think there are signs of great um, archipelago books has also published a Speaking of Bengali literature, it's published a wonderful translation of a novel by Buddhadev Basu, done by Aruna, and that's a great one. And he's a fantastic translator from Bengali. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be excited about and looking forward to. For sure, Aruna Vasana's work, like for sure, is creating a lot of really beautiful work in English translations. I think he has really contributed immensely to the awareness of, to raising an awareness about Bengali literature outside of the 
larger Bengali community in the world. So I think he is someone whose work has, as a translator has made a huge difference. Yeah, and I hope so. Like soon we will see a lot more translations in all languages because we have so many, I think, stories yet right. in every language. <laughs> so I think we are reaching the end of our conversation. But I wanted to reserve like the last poem, the jungle story for the concluding part of the session because I really thought that across the collection, the women's relationship, like there is a constant femininity and like their mothers and daughters across all poems that play such an important role. And I think the jungle story especially stood out to me for that reason. So if you could, I'd be happy if you'd read that out as well. I'm very happy to read it. I'm just trying to find it. You know, that poem was actually written about, I mentioned the Naxalite movement earlier, and this was a poem yeah. was written about that. She imagined the speaker as a young activist who had one of the student warriors of that time mm. who had disappeared mm. for years and come back. And this is his, this is in his voice. It's a very moving mm. poem. So thank you for choosing it. Yeah. The Jungle Story. My exile is over, mother. No more living in the jungle for me. Come, mother. Underneath this matted beard, feel the familiar cheeks of your child. Open up your breasts, mother, and watch how the seven streams of milk gush toward my parched tongue. Look at these feet, mother, the tiny feet where your golden bells had jingled. Look at this arm upon which you had tied your talisman when I was born. Now, look at this chest where you had planted the sapling of a heart in a soft green stretch of sun. But in the hidden mesh of this dark jungle, impenetrable, has grown a hungry tree with toothy leaves and sharp claws and fierce flowers. It chews on other hearts, a fine flesh eater. My time in the jungle is over, mother. Now the jungle lives in me. Thank you. Thank you so much for reading that out. It is absolutely a really moving poem. Thank you so much for all your lovely questions and, and for selecting these beautiful poems for me to read and for this wonderful conversation. Thank you.